Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. This morning, we have a very special guest speaker. We've been in the series Strange Fire. I'm going to get back into that next week. Um, But this week, uh, we have a very special guest speaker who is a hero to me in my life. Um, He used to speak at my Bible college every year, and he's a graduate of the Bible college I went to just a little bit before I did, just a few minutes before me. Um, but now, uh, his, his name is Scott Hinkle. If you don't know him, he is a, an evangelist um, who who's pre- has preached and done outreaches all, acro- all over the world. Um, he just told me yesterday, Nikki Cruz, if you're not familiar with that, who that is, uh, look it up, but uh, is one of his mentors. He was a staff evangelist at Phoenix First Assembly with Tommy Barnett. Uh, he's hosted and ran a Mardi Gras outreach for 30 years or so, roughly, <laughs> um, and so takes teams to Mardi Gras to witness on the streets every year, uh, and and a million other things, and and it's just an amazing man of God, humble, um, and also his own testimony is phenomenal, how the Lord just radically got a hold of him as a, as a hippie in the Jesus movement on, on a roadside stand in Kansas, um, and, and it's an awesome story. So please thrive, give it up for a uh, friend and mentor, Scott Hinkle. Wow, what an introduction. I mean, you know, the only way I could get a better introduction is if I introduce myself. All right, thank you for those two courtesy laughs. That's pretty good. But I'm honored to be with you guys today. How many of you are glad you're here? How many of you are not glad you're here? How many of you are going to raise your hand no matter what I ask today? I'm just checking with you. Um, Just a little bit of warning, Uh, I'm originally from New Jersey, you won't hold that against me, I know you're godly, grace-filled people. Uh, I'm Jewish by birth, so those are two very important factors. Number one, New Jersey's not in the Bible Belt. Secondarily, being Jewish means I wasn't raised anywhere near church, and uh, had a lot of high ideals, high goals, high dreams as a kid, was either going to go to Juilliard School of Music or Princeton University, become involved in law, run for president, and be the first Jewish president of the United States. I made another decision, became a heroin addict on the streets, got thrown out of the state of New Jersey on narcotics charges. And one day, uh, I'm sitting in high school. I was a professional high school student. Incidentally, three high schools, number of years. I'm sitting in a high school assembly one day. It's an anti-drug lecture. How many of you know those are boring? And the guy had been a former rock musician in Hollywood, told his story, you know, humorous, um, talked about a a near-fatal overdose. And I'm sitting in the balcony, and I looked a little different than I do today. I was about, let's see, I weighed myself the other day. I was about 70 pounds lighter than I am today. Long hair, pierced ear, eight hairs hanging from my chin. I was trying to grow a beard. It wasn't working for me, but I tried real hard looking like a reject from a bad pirate movie. Anyway, 
And I'm sitting in the balcony talking to my cousin, going, this guy, this is an all of a sudden. How many of you have had an all of a sudden in your life? All of a sudden, I feel something brush across my face. And I heard a voice. Now, it wasn't a loud, booming, audible voice. How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say the whisper? Spoke to me and said, Hankel is in the sky. has got something to say because you don't know everything. Now, when you're 19 and you're told you don't know everything, that is a word straight from heaven. Nevertheless, I began, I felt like I needed to talk to this guy. I'm Jewish, so I don't know anything about Christianity. I was as unreached as anyone in the Darien jungle, which has been called the darkest jungle on this planet. Knew at where I grew up, you were either Jewish, Catholic, or weird. We didn't know anything else. But I felt compelled to talk to this guy. Very long story short, I borrowed a car miraculously from my cousin who would never lend me a quarter, let alone his car. Found out where he was. Caught up with him two high school assemblies later in a little town in Kansas. I walked in. They knew I wasn't a student there. By how I looked, they asked me to leave. I walked into the parking lot, and I spied a car uh, that had New York plates, and he'd introduced his wife, and she was sitting there. Went over and talked to her, and as I looked in the window, she had her Bible opened, and it was underlined. I thought, how sacrilegious can you be to write in the Holy Bible? I'm serious. I thought that. Little red stickers on the glove box that said, Jesus loves you. I thought, Jesus freaks. All I knew about them was I read something where they lived in the hills in the mud in communes. I did. I'm a city boy. I'm raised outside of New York City. Every fiber in my being is urban, so I don't get that kind of lifestyle. Her husband comes out, takes me to an A&W root beer stand parking lot. Or park, actually, the hamburger place bought me a hamburger, french fries, and a Coke, figuring if I don't feed this kid, he's going to die of malnutrition. My friend is sitting in with his wife. He takes me out to the car, begins to talk to me. I felt really funny. I had a foul mouth. I felt uncomfortable using the mildest of profanities. It wasn't that he said, you're a dirty, rotten, drug addict, scum of the earth. No, nothing like that. But I'd met somebody that had Jesus in their life and wasn't afraid to show it. I wanted what he had. Have you ever met somebody that had something intangibly different about their life? I couldn't put my finger on it, but I just wanted what the guy had. I'm sitting in the front seat of his car. I don't know anything about Christianity, and I'm an American raised in the most highly educated, densely populated, wealthy part of the United States of America, the Northeast, the most economically and politically powerful part of America, the Northeast. And yet I know zero about Christianity. But I'm sitting in the front seat of his car. I bowed my head and I said, God, I didn't even verbalize it. Didn't know I had to do that. I cried out of my heart, God, if you can do everything he's talking about, then go on ahead and do it. Jesus, as you are the gutter, um, I, I've been in the gutter. I have no more options. Funny thing, Jesus was listening. Immediately, I felt like somebody literally came in on the inside of me. I had a mental picture of a guy in 
painter's coveralls, a scrub brush, and a hose, cleaning me out from the inside because all of the garbage and crud literally was draining out of my life. I felt brand new. How many of you like that feeling after you take a bath or a shower? Right? How many of you like to take a shower? How many of you don't like? We can tell if you don't. Amen. I felt brand new. Part of my story, about an hour and a half later, after he gives me a little paperback New Testament and a bunch of literature, I go back to the little town I'm living in, and I run into a kid standing out front of the high school. He's with his girlfriend. And I look at him, and I said, hey, man, I just asked Jesus in my life. I don't have to do drugs anymore. Don't you knock him to your triumph. Conversation over. I'd only been a Christian for 90 minutes. So how much do you know in 90 minutes? But that day, Jesus drafted me into a lifetime adventure of telling the world that Jesus Christ can change your life. And I want to help others do the very same thing. So that, I mean, if you'd like to know who's cooking in the kitchen, I just introduced, because I'm cooking up the word of life for you here today. Is that okay? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. But I have a message I need to share with you today. I'm under mandate to share it. It's an important time that we're living in. I want to begin to look at 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. It might be a verse you're familiar with, and I'm reading it from the New Living Translation. From the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. We always bring our family, right? All the men understood the times and they knew the best course for Israel to take. Now, a lot of people say they know what's going on, but I want to know what I need to do. How many of you are with me? Interesting. I like that phrase, the best course for Israel to take. It reminds me of a phrase, best practices. How many of you have ever heard that phrase, best practice? Best practices in accounting, in music, in many areas of manufacturing. And as we pursue this little journey through this message today, we're going to look at a couple of best practices. Now, I want to shift gears here for a moment, and I want to go from the Bible to ask you this question. How many of you saw the original Star Wars movie? Can you remember the opening scroll across the screen in a far-off galaxy a long time ago. I mean, I can see that right now. Here comes the screen. You hear the music. Anyway, and as I begin with you today, I want to use these words. In a time not so long ago, in the land that you and I are blessed to call our home, the United States of America, we find ourselves in the 1960s. Now, for some of you that might have been there, just to mention that, you think about hair, cars, music. The rest of you just turn on TV sometime and you'll find some kind of uh, picture of it. Look, this is not a Happy Days retro sermon. Let me just throw that out there as well. But if you fast forward to today, there's a striking parallel. And as we look at the top turvy moral, social, and political climate that you and I find ourselves in, there's a strange similarity, believe it or not. I want to quickly look back 
non-nostalgically at the 60s and early 70s, revisiting that moral and social and political climate. Time Magazine promoted the God is Dead movement in uh, October 22nd, 1965. John F. Kennedy was the target of hatred only because running for president, he was a Roman Catholic. The Vietnam War caused incredible division and political and social upheaval that we hadn't seen since the Civil War in the United States of America. There was drugs, there was free love, there was a free speech movement, there was student unrest, there was, a Ber uh, there was Berkeley, California that was uh, an eruption of, of craziness coming out of there. Uh, there was the Kent State Massacre on May 4th, 1970. Uh, there, were, there, there was the Arab-Israeli War in 1973. In the summer of 1967 alone, there were 159 race riots in the United States of America. The most powerful youth generation ever to inhabit this planet was the post-war baby boom. And what happened is they pushed the boundaries of morality and social mores to far to the edge, and we are living on that foundation here today. As far as some were concerned, the self-destruct countdown had already begun on America. Now let me say this, the word here today is to simply paint a picture through scripture and history of hope in our country, if that's okay with you. You see, you look at all that went on, and the question that arises: could that have been a setup? Uh, how many of you know darkness sets the stage for light? Hurt for healing. I lived in the Arizona desert for 16 years. I want to confess to you, I love water, and I'm going to prove it right now. Uh, in the desert, you love to see an oasis. Ah, I'm better now. You see, in the midst of all of the craziness, heaven responded with a double-barrel blast. There was what was called the charismatic renewal. I know this is a little bit of history, but hang with me and roll with me, would you please? How many of you ever heard of the charismatic renewal or charismatic movement? This is simply what it was. It affected dead, dry, and historical churches with the baptism in the Holy Spirit and teaching believers from the Bible. Kind of novel concept, but that's what took place. Secondarily, there was something called the Jesus Movement. Have you ever heard about that? You see, that generation that I described was salvaged by an act of God sweeping into uh, the kingdom an entire generation. Kids began to show up in church, barefoot, uh, I mean short shorts, long hair, hadn't had a bath, half crazed. They began to sit all over the floor. There were two kinds of preachers in those days. There was one kind of preacher that would say, God's not going to save people like this in my church. Well, guess what? He didn't. When you draw a line, God draws a line. And then there were some. I don't know if any of you remember in church when the pulpits they had were like these big oak things. I mean, you could serve a family of four a Thanksgiving dinner on these things. And one of the great things they did was, uh, I mean, these things, the plexiglass things, those 
you know, you can see everything, including the knocking knees of a scared, frightened, intimidated preacher. Well, he can stand behind those things, open the Bible, preach Christ, and kids began to have a close encounter with Jesus. Their life was transformed. Many of them are leaders in the kingdom of God today, leading great movements around the world. Heaven responded. It was more forceful. It was more jagged edge. The one thing that took place was change. When God moves, it means change. Somebody once said the only one that likes change is a baby with a dirty diaper. Okay. I believe it's possible God could strike again in the time that we're living in. He has a history and track record in conjunction with difficult times in our nation if you look back. You see, God doesn't work like this. God works like this. Line upon line, block upon block, precept upon precept. Following the Civil War and the Great Chicago Fire, there was a guy by the name of Dwight L. Moody. Anyone here for D.L. Moody? You know, this old school in Chicago, Moody Bible Institute. God raised him up and he held campaigns across America. Then you come to the turn of the century. In Topeka, Kansas, in Azusa Street, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Then around, then during the World War I era, there was a, a baseball player played for the White Sox. He gets saved at the Pacific Guard Mission in Chicago. He starts to preach across the country, having great crusades. His name was Billy Sunday. I thought, well, Sunday, what about it? He held a campaign in New York City in 1917. 98,000 people made a decision for Jesus Christ. Ah! I was excited about that. Then you come to the turn of the century. In Atlantic City, New Jersey, there was reported only 50 unconverted adults out of a population of 60,000 people. In Atlantic City? 1905, the city of Denver was shut down by the power of God. It's recorded in the newspapers. Then you come into the 20s, the roaring 20s. And there was a woman in Los Angeles. She was a barnstorming evangelist. You see, all of these have had had great effects across America. There was a a barnstorming lady evangelist, and God told her to build a church in Echo Park in L.A. And as she put the shovel in the dirt, the Lord told her, if you dig a hole, I'll fill it. Funny thing, her name was Amy Semple McPherson. She built a church in 1923. It's the oldest building in America that's had a nonstop run of Holy Ghost ministry. Today, it has been massively rebirthed under the ministry of Matthew Barnett and the Dream Center. Amy fed a million people on the streets of Los Angeles during the Great Depression. There were closets in her church that had crutches and braces from the miracles and healing that took place. It blew up Los Angeles. She'd been dead for like 60 years or so, and they still talk about her there. She launched a a Pentecostal denomination called the Four Square Movement that is still rocking and rolling today. You can go forward. Then we come to the post-World War II era. 
And yet there was a twofold attack from heaven. Number one, there were the great miracle and healing revivals. And then there were three young evangelists preaching across America, holding great crusades. Two of them, unfortunately, flamed out very quickly. One who was considered the least talented continued on, Billy Graham. And then we come forward to the Vietnam era with the charismatic renewal and the Jesus movement. I know this is history. But David looked at Goliath and he told King Saul, he said, the same God that delivered me from the lion and the bear will make this giant next. You see, David had history with God's victory and he knew that Goliath would be next. Could we be headed for another setup? The question I pose to you here today. If so, without attempting to be overly presumptive, there's a question that arises. If we are being set up by God, how may I be a part and not miss out? You see, I made the decision when I came to Jesus that I didn't want to miss anything God did. I grew up hearing once a junkie, always a junkie. There's no cure for heroin addiction. I knew guys that died. I knew guys that were strung out. I said, Jesus, if you can set me free, set me free. It's been years ago, and I'm free from that mess. If Jesus could heal me, then heal my broken body and my whacked out brain. If Jesus could give me a language that I never took a course on in school. I've preached a lot in England and I made this, uh, uh, I came to this realization. They speak English, I speak American. Just a revelation. But if I could, if God could give me a language to pray and communicate, bring it on. I want everything God has for me. Wouldn't you? So if God is going to do something like this, I don't want to miss it. You say, Scott, I'm a Christian. I kind of love Jesus. Uh, Look, Jesus wept in Luke 19 for this very reason. The people of Israel did not know his coming to them. They missed it. And Jesus wept. Because of that, it broke his heart. So I want to offer up to you three best practices here today. Going back to 1 Chronicles 12, 32. They understand the time. How many of you know we're living in a crazy moment of time? Anyone disagree with that? Whether you're 15 or 115, you ain't never seen anything like this before, and I have you. See, I've lived in Texas six times, even though I'm from New Jersey, so I had to communicate that way with you just for a moment. There's fear for the future. There's an unsurety. Our health, our jobs, our very way of life is being threatened and taken from us in a lot of ways. And I believe Jesus is alive. How many of you believe that? I believe he rose from the dead. Funny thing is, if God raised Jesus from the dead physically and he's still here today, he's 
can take care of me. He can take care of you. And he can take care of the stuff around us. I sure believe that. So I want to give you three simple words or principles for you here today. Number one is the word identification. Now let me read out of John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. Nevertheless, even amongst the rulers, the rulers of the Jews, many believed in him, believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they'd be put out of the synagogue, for they love praise of men more than the praise of God. This story carries a great truth. What we identify with identifies us. Think about it for just a moment. When I watch little church kids try to act like little gangsters, here's the problem. Wannabes soon will be. I was raised in a good home. High ideals. Incredibly accomplished people in my family. I like hanging around with the guys that look like Rocky Balboa uh, and, and, and gangsters from the mob. I'm a Jewish kid in an Italian neighborhood. And pretty soon I became like them. I forsook all of the ideals and goals. Started shooting dope. Got in a lot of trouble with the law. I was a wannabe. Then I was. What we identify with identifies us. God will move in and through people who obviously will publicly identify with them. You know, there's an illustration that comes to mind. Imagine a young man going to propose to his sweetheart. Sweetheart? Yes. Will you marry me? Yes, but I want a big, big house. I want to drive a Porsche, new 401k. I want that big diamond ring. Unlimited shopping, but I don't want your name. <laughs> Hello. Interesting. One of the benefits, but we really don't want to publicly identify with him. When you understand what hell is, nobody really wants to go to hell when they have a clue what hell is all about. You see, well, Scott, I believe in God. Can I tell you that's not enough? What you mean? This is what I mean. God's my father. I've talked about God, and I will. But when you talk to some people about God, it's like what they shaved in the morning and put lipstick on. What they put the key in the driveway and drove out of the, you know, their 401k, their lifestyle, their house. Okay. 
there's only one name given under heaven by which men can be saved. Anyone know what that name is? Thank you very much. And the pastor's wife rings loud and clear. Amen. (laughs) Jesus. We sang about that name. The chain breaker sets you free, heals you, messes with your messed up mind and makes it right. That wasn't the song, but that's what I say. It goes much deeper than that. What we identify with identifies us. We identify with the whole counsel of God, the whole book. We identify with a big God, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered into the heart or mind of man. What God's prepared for those who love him. We identify with the Bible. We identify with God's purposes. We identify with a strong church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. Do you know that God's church, God's people are the secret weapon on this planet today? God reveals his heart, his love, his life, and his plan, and his healing power through his people. There's no hologram in the sky. It's through his people. I identify with the forward motion of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing, and forceful men and women advance with him. I lay, uh, I, I lay a hold of the reason that Jesus got a hold of my life. I press on towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I identify with that type of Christianity. Do you? I believe you do. I identify with Christianity, and I have to move on after this like water. Water is useful at any temperature. Ice cold drink on a hot day, ice is a good preservative. Then there's room temperature. I prefer room temperature water to drink because what's left of this raspy old voice will freeze and make it worse on your ears than it is right now if I drink ice water. But water becomes most powerful at 212 degrees, the boiling point. It turns to steam. You can lift an airplane off an aircraft carrier on steam power. Steam will, is lethal. Christianity is most powerful, not at 30 degrees, not at 98.6 room temperature, normal, but at 212 degrees. That's where Christianity is the most powerful. Well, I could go on here, but let me keep moving. I say the clock is moving. I better do it too. Although my flight is until much later today, so how it would it? No. Second thought I want to, again, let me repeat like this. God will move in and through people who publicly identify with him in every way, shape, and form. And they will move with what God does. Secondly, John 1, 6 says this. There, there was a man sent from God, and his name was John. I like to say there was a man injected by God whose name was John. God, John was put in place and injected into a particular time and place for a particular purpose, God's purpose. Do you know that you are here because of God? 
How many of you have come out of life-threatening situations to be where you are today? Maybe a car wreck, maybe um, a disease, a sickness. How many of you have done that? I think back to when my mother was carrying me. She had a condition where her womb would fill with tumors. And they were at the point where they were going, about at the point where they were going to choose. Do we say mother or child? I'm glad to report that we both lived a long time. But God knew me in my mother's womb, even though my mother was a young Jewish girl, had no idea about Christ until the very end of her life. You see, people who move with God are people of purpose. I'm here because of God, not as a minister, but as his child. And so are you. God has, look, we are here for such a time as this. It's an unusual time. We serve an unusual God who does unusual things to an unusual people. Business, as usual, is out of business. It is no longer applicable or available to the world that we live in. That is not a new revelation. We are living in a multifaceted war on humanity and Christianity. There's someone that loves you and someone who hates you. And they are vying for our life, the way we live, in our faith in Christ. We follow the victor. How many of you believe that here today? Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Jesus always leads us in triumph. I know I'm going on, but I am passionate. I believe, once again, that the people of God are the answer for the world that we live in. I truly, I truly believe that. The third thought that I want to give you today. Well, no, let me back up to this. There was a man sent from God, and his name was John. Can we put that up there? My, have we got that? <clears throat> I'd like you to read that top verse with me right now. Out loud. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Okay, that was starters. Let's do it again. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. One more time. There was a man sent from God and his name was John. Now I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to ask you to eliminate John's name and put your name in there. Now, Ladies, I know this could be a challenge. There was a man sent from God, and his name was Sally. That just doesn't work. So I want to give you a choice. Either say woman in one syllable, go with me in man as in mankind and not specific gender. Is that okay? But I want you to put your name in at the end of that. Okay? There was a man sent from God, and his name was Scott. Again. There was a man sent from God, and his name was Scott. All right, one more time. Close your eyes, but open the ears of your heart. There was a man sent from God, and his name was Scott. Did you really hear that? Jesus said in John 17, 18, Father, as, I've, as you've sent me, I've sent them. God has placed you wherever you are 
absolutely on purpose. We are designed to be instruments of influence in the world that we live in. We're called salt and light by the master. The steps of a good man or woman are ordered and directed by the Lord. How many of you have ever feel like you've had a divine appointment? I had a testimony of one this morning. Absolutely. Somebody came up and said, I had a divine appointment. Where God has just opened up the door. And uh, I mean, either the Lord's given you something to say to somebody or something to say to you. Years ago, we were starting in ministry. We just moved from Hollywood, California, where we'd started a ministry that continues today or helps start one. We moved to Dallas to launch a national outreach ministry, and it was a little rough. I had two little kids, uh, you know, we're kind of missionaries, and so I decided I was going to go to the mall and get a job, Redbird Mall. No longer in existence, but Redbird Mall, and just so they would know that. I go to Redbird Mall. I go to Penny's. I walk in there, and I mean, I'm feeling so low, I could play handball off a curb. Anyone ever have that feeling? And I walk in, and I see across the store, there's a big, tall preacher that I knew. Has a very deep voice. And I was kind of depressed. We talked about that earlier. So I tried to avoid him. And I'm walking in, and all of a sudden he goes, Brother Scott, how are you doing? So I did the Christian thing. I lied. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm doing wonderful. It's great. Yeah, wonderful. I could have gotten a little bit more closer to reality and so I had to go over and talk to him I was trying to avoid him I walked over to him and he looks at me and he starts to prophesy to me in J.C. Penney's he says something something breaks over my life I turn around and go home now I was in worse shape than when I got there why because I burned gas to drive to the mall and back something broke over my life we were fine that was a divine appointment. And I remind my friend of that to this day. God, you are here for the, for the purposes of God. Not by accident, not by chance, but God has something for you. There is no one prays like you pray. No one can serve like you can serve. No one worships like you worship. No one can make a difference in somebody's life like you can make a difference in somebody's life. Final thought. I look at Ezekiel 33, beginning in verse 30. As for you, son of man, your people are talking. Now, this is crazy. These Old Testament prophets, I see them as kind of crusty guys. You know, I mean, just, you know, uh, John had locusts and honey in his beard and all this. I mean, he could have gotten a haircut or something. But nevertheless, I look at these kind of crusty, edgy guys. You know, you might not want to have them over for a really nice Sunday dinner. And, but yet, Ezekiel is enjoying a period of popularity. Almost done. How many of you give me six more minutes? Right? Six, 12, 18, 24, 30, 36. Okay, you see, I can count that high. Beginning in verse 30, and it's from the NIV version. As for you, son of man, your people are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of their houses, saying to each other, Come and hear the message that's come from the Lord. And my people come to you as they usually do. In other words, he's having a lot of people come to his services. 
and sit before you to hear your words, but they don't put them into practice. Now, you can say ouch after that, but that's not the point. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed to them, now this is, this is what gets me. Indeed to them, you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well. For they hear your words, don't put them into practice. See, this is what gets me. These guys, these guys knew God. They flowed in the supernatural of God. They weren't a guy with a website and a business card. They were the real deal. And yet they would go listen to Ezekiel like you and I would go to a concert, a movie, or a ball game to be entertained. I believe God will move through people who are not here to be entertained. Don't get me wrong, we have to be slightly entertaining to keep people's attention in this kind of setup. But we're here to be involved. See, Christianity is not a spectator sport. This is not the best expression of Christianity. That's a few bucks in the bucket in the back. Good sermon, Pastor Brian. And then all of our religion is left in the parking lot by the time we pull out. Christianity is not meant to be lived in the grandstand, the bleachers, or the pew, but in the arena of everyday life, every day. How can we change the world? By living. Christianity every day, everywhere. It's pretty plain. God, we choose to identify with Jesus. God, I'm here for your purpose. I may not have the full line of information, but I'm here because of you. And you're going to guide and direct my steps. Why? To someone else. I believe we're here to make a difference. I believe once again that the church, the people of God, are God's secret weapon in the world today. There is a sickness deep in the heart of America, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the ultimate cure. You say that's overly simplistic. When you cure the wickedness in a man's heart, it changes everything around him. It did with me. How about you? You see... I don't want Christianity to just be cultural, but it needs to be real. Romans 8, 19 says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. God is looking for somebody. In Ezekiel 22, 30, we read this verse. I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. You know what gets me? I've had the privilege of serving as a lead and a senior pastor. I know what it's like when you need somebody else to work in with the children. You need an extra usher. Feel the guys in the setup tear down crew. But the God of all creation looked for one person for one task and couldn't find anybody. That strike you kind of crazy. 
You see, I believe God is looking for people here today. God is saying, I'm, I, look, I'm here for you. I'm not hiding from you. I've opened my arms. I've opened my heart. I've opened heaven wide. I want to do something. Interesting, Charles Finney. Anyone here ever hear of Charles Finney? Finney made an interesting statement in his lectures on revival. And with this, I'm about to close. For real. Just so you know. He said, when can a revival or an awakening be expected? He said, when the providence of God, God's ordering of events, indicates that an awakening is at hand. Interesting. There's a sense. Revival. What is revival? The greatest picture I have is in my own family. I'm the oldest of three boys. One brother, 11 and a half years difference. Much dad is my brother. Then there's another brother, four years difference. Unfortunately, I paved the way for him to do drugs and get crazy. He took it to a whole other level, in and out of prison. When I preached his funeral, nobody came. His three grown children didn't care. We were buried and didn't want to know. That was the state of his life. He's in a nursing home, and they call me, and they say, Scott, your brother's about ready to go. Would you want to come see him? I said, sure. So I come over there. I walk into the room, and, man, he is laid down in his bed. He's gray. My first thought was, cadaver. He's got wires and tubes and a mask, and I'm like, and the hospice workers over here, I said, would you excuse me for a minute? I'd like to just spend a few moments with my brother. I sit down by his bedside. And I begin to talk to we did as kids. No response. Then I begin to quote some scriptures. Then I begin to pray for him. Don't you know that rascal's hand begins to move? Then he begins to arm, and then he kind of sits up, and he's pulling stuff out. Mask taken off, and color comes back. That's revival. Almost gone but being raised back up to life. He even went down to eat a little bit later on. I believe God's about to do that. Identification, injection, and involvement. Three thoughts, three best practices for people that say, I want to move forward with God. Whatever God does, I want to be a part I don't want to watch. I want to participate. I want to be in the middle of whatever Jesus does. I do. Wouldn't you? Would you close your eyes with me for just a moment? I'd like to ask you just a couple of quick questions. In a moment, I'm going to ask for those of you that would say, Scott, I, I choose to be a part of what God does. I choose to identify with Jesus in every way, shape, and form and to trust that he's placed my life here just as there came a man sent from God. I've been placed here for a purpose. And my purpose is to be involved in whatever God does through this church, in my life, believing God can use what I can do and what I can't do. I'm going to call for you to 
make that commitment and declaration before the Lord. But before I can do that, I must ask this simple question. Have you allowed Jesus Christ to be involved in every area of your life? It begins by asking Christ to forgive you of your sins, everything wrong you've ever done against man and God. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. There's not one of us that is not. But Jesus stands outstretched in essence with his arms open and he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, the door of your heart life. And if you hear my voice and you open the door and let me in, I will share, I will do life with you. I will sup with you, the Bible says. You know, Christianity doesn't come by osmosis. It comes by decision and intention. And sometimes you can hang around for a while, but it's time to get Jesus involved in every area of your life. He wants to. And it could be that you have never, you come to church, you enjoy the vibe, the warmth, the coffee, the friendship, but inside you have never opened your heart to Christ and started a life and relationship with Him. This is the day that you can do that right now. It could be that there was a time you did make a choice for Christ, but a lot of life has happened. Things distract you. Become distracted, your life becomes diverted. But you say, this day I choose to make my heart and my life right with God. I want to return to my first love. You know, when you gave your life to Jesus, what was it like? What did you do? It's changed. It's time to go back to that. Today you say, Scott, I want to make my heart or my life right with God. Either for the very first time or a renewal of my relationship with Christ. If that's you, no one else is looking around, please honor that. But would you lift up your hand and say, that's me, Scott. I want to make my, I choose to make my heart of my life right with God today. If that's you right now, would you thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll wait just a little moment. Not for pressure, but sometimes we're in a war within ourselves. You can never win a war with God unless you fully surrender. Secondly, this here today, you simply say this, Scott, choose to identify with Jesus Christ every way, shape, and form. Believe that God has placed my life here for a purpose, His purpose. And my purpose is to have him involved in area in every area of my life, but I choose to be involved in letting Jesus use me to touch and reach and serve and connect with others in his name. It could be so many ways, but just say, Jesus, I want you to use my life. But you choose to be a person that moves with God. If that would be you, would you stand to your feet right now and those of you that raise your hands to make your heart and your life right with God, would you join these on their feet? You say, I choose 
to identify with Jesus in every way, shape, and form, believe that God's placed me here. And the reason that I'm here is for involvement in his plan and purpose. I make that choice today. If you will do that, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right now. You raised your hands to make your heart and your life right with God. I want to pray with you for just a moment. My prayer will be twofold. The first is to make your heart, your life right with God. He's waiting. He's going, yes, 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 yes. A burden can lift. Guilt can be removed. Would you raise both of your hands as you're lifting up the entirety of your life to Jesus Christ? And let's pray this prayer out loud. First, with those making the heart and life right with God. Secondly, is our consecration and commitment to be a people that God can move in and we will move with Him. Out loud that we fill this sanctuary Lord Jesus thank you for your goodness and loving kindness you've done more for me than I could ever deserve forgive me Lord Jesus for my sin for living in a way that didn't honor you you held nothing back from me I hold nothing back from you Come live inside of me, Lord Jesus. I choose to follow you. And this day, October 17th, 2021, I make the choice to identify with you, Lord, in every way, shape, and form, holding nothing back. Lord, I believe you've placed my life here for your purpose. I choose to be involved in your plan and purpose in the world today. I don't want to watch. I want to be a part. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10.